This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. The world, 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico at the San Juan Water Beach Club Hotel and taking your calls at 888-887-3837, that's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com and we will solve your problems right here on the air. Uh... It's amazing how many people don't know things about, about Puerto Rico, and especially San Juan. I mean, some of us, if we did our studying in high school, know that uh, Christopher Columbus discovered it. Do you know when he discovered it? 1493, November 19th to be exact, during his second voyage to the New World. I think he got lost again, quite frankly, but he discovered it. And it was really founded, though, uh, a few years later, about 30 years later, by Juan Ponce de Leon who then named it the city of Puerto Rico, the rich port. And, of course, he was searching for the Fountain of Youth, but uh, he should have stopped here. And, uh, of course, uh, it's the oldest city in the U.S. territories. Uh, people forget about that, and, of course, people forget when it got started as a U.S. territory, 1898. Remember that? Spanish-American War and uh, the sinking of the Maine. Remember the sinking of the Maine? That didn't happen here. But it's what started the Spanish-American War, and uh, that's when Puerto Rico became a territory. Uh, amazing districts here, uh, not just old San Juan, but, you know, that's a 465-year-old neighborhood originally uh, put together as a military stronghold and the basically one of the crown jewels of the Spanish Empire. Uh, but you get outside of, of San Juan, and there's so many other things to see, from the rainforest to Nel Yunque to, to um, out by Rio Mar and... and uh, uh, and, and, oh, and of course, uh, Vieques. We've actually uh, gone to Vieques for this show many times, uh, the island that was formerly used as a bombing site for the U.S. Navy, but they have been bombing in almost 20 years. And uh, what they've built up on that island now, it's, it's wonderful, and some really quiet beaches over there, too. Lots of things to deal with. Um, and last but not least, the food. We'll be talking about that uh, throughout the show. And least but not last... We'll also talk about the Zika virus because everybody who was talking to me before I came down here said, oh, be careful. What are you, why are you crazy? Are you going down? You know what? We go back to the days of SARS and the avian flu, even hoof and mouth disease. If you do your homework and you talk to your doctor, because nobody knows your medical history better than he or she does, you can travel intelligently just about anywhere in the world. And yes, have there been cancellations down here, some conventions and some sporting events? Yes. But you know what? That only benefits you. It becomes a buyer's market. And I'm looking out the window here and seeing lots of people on the beach and, and, uh, and on their jet skis and, and uh, sailing around. It's, and you know what? Not a problem. It, it, it just angers me that people embrace the worst five-letter word <laughs> that, that followed by the worst four-letter word. The worst five-letter word is later. And, of course, it's usually preceded by the worst four-letter word, fear. And as long as you can get over that, anything is possible. And you just have to realize that, that uh, there are very few places in the world you shouldn't go. And it's, uh, it, just, it gets me crazy when people uh, don't do their homework and they just go, I don't want to go. When somebody says, I don't want to go, hey, sign me up. So uh, anyway, I just thought I'd put that in, in, uh, in perspective for you. Hey, let's go to some emails real fast. Uh, there's a, 
here's a letter from uh, Alexandra Brewer. She goes, uh, after an extensive study abroad trip across Europe, my USA passport has become slightly worn. Since then, I've also made trips to Mexico and the Dominican Republic. My passport is showing obvious signs of wear and tear. However, the information stage is still uh, page is still fully intact, and lamination is still down. The upper corner of the first page is also torn, very small. When the emperor ticket lady took my passport last year before going to the Dominican, she told me that it would not get me into Mexico. Uh, but I'm planning a trip to Mexico on November 26th. I took it to the post office. They told me it was fine. You know what? As long as it's legible, not mutilated, you'll be fine. The, the real key, though, is understanding that many countries have different rules about what they will accept in terms of a passport. The most ridiculous one of all is South Africa that has ruled that you cannot even enter the country unless you have two pages in your passport completely free. I have no idea why they would do that, but I can't begin to tell you how many people have been denied entry, including one of our radio engineers, Mike Worrell, many years ago, who couldn't get into Johannesburg because of that. Uh, so, and in the old days, you could then go to a U.S. consulate anywhere in the world and have them put in additional pages to your passport. That's not done anymore. So if you're applying for a new passport, even if you don't think you'll be flying a lot, ask for the 48-pager. Sometimes they're 52 pages, but you want the big pages. You don't, I mean, you know, you want the, the, the thicker book, not the smaller book, because once you run out of pages, you're going to have to get a new passport, you know, and that's even before it might expire in that 10-year period. So bottom line is you're going to have a good time, and you can still use your passport, but take better care of it, okay? And don't go swimming with it, all right? Uh, here's one from uh, Anna Newman who writes, uh, we booked a flight to Venice for September and chose seats in row 30 to avoid paying a premium for economy. Many days after booking, I went to the American Airlines site and changed seats to row 12, which were available at no extra charge. That was three weeks ago. Just checked today, and we were assigned those seats in row 12, but they are now listed as premium seats at $82 each per flight, but we were never charged the premium. Okay, repeat after me, Anna. Shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, are we likely to be charged for those seats when we, when we arrive to check in? The answer is no. You're either charged for it at the time you make the purchase, or that's it. Uh, and remember, 24 hours ahead of your flight, you can check in online, too, and print your boarding pass at home, and that'll tell you right then and there. So I don't think you're going to have a problem. Uh, but let me talk about airline seating for a second. You know, you went online to do it. Remember, what you're seeing online is not a complete reflection of what's available in terms of inventory, either on airfares or seating in themselves. Airlines hold back. So it's always a good idea to have a phone conversation, even if you end up booking online, to find out what's really available. And then here's the second one, which drives me absolutely nuts, how the airlines have rechanged the definition of what they consider a premium economy seat. Uh, it used to be, you know, a nice window or aisle seat with a little more space, legroom, pitch, but no. In many cases, what they determine to be a premium economy seat is a seat that just happens to be closer to either business or first class. And all that really means is you can smell the cookies, you just can't have one. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Joining us now, uh, reporter for Telemundo, a local, uh, and her name is Nuria Sebasco. Correct. Yes. And, you know, 
let's start with some stereotypes about Puerto Rico that drive me a little nuts, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not telling, I'm not kidding you when I tell you this. I was coming down here the other day, and somebody said to me, you need a passport? I'm like, no. Oh, they think it's a foreign country. Correct. We've been dealing with that since 1890. <laughs> <laughs> But now, yeah, it seems like everybody thinks Puerto Rico, we're not citizens, and we are since 1917, and there's no need for a passport. Of course not. I know. People, they don't get that. And then they want to, you know, then they think that, and then they have no idea where you are. They, 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 they you're over somebody. It's, it's sort of like this, this, the old joke I used to tell of a couple that comes back from vacation. Where'd you go on your vacation? Aruba, where's that? I don't know. We flew. Right. I mean, there's no geographic understanding of where Puerto Rico is. It's a very manageable flight from the from the East Coast. It is. It's three and a half hours. You're That's done. That's correct. Right? That's and correct. People don't know our political status, which we still have a do struggle you know with. Your, it. Wait, wait, do you know your We political? still have a struggle with it. But uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about Puerto Rico and people don't know about us. They still think we're Indians from uh, what century centuries ago. I mean, It's crazy, but well, they you know, show up. Page, they, they show up paging Christopher Columbus. They don't get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> What are some of the other misconceptions? Well, there are, are a lot of people that. Well, a lot of people think that we speak. Uh, we're completely bilingual. We are not. Not everybody in Puerto Rico knows uh, English. But and by the we, way, if you want to know that, just go turn on your TV and look how many channels are all Spanish only. Yeah, that's our our first language. But right. of course, we still have uh, education in English as a second language and we still work work on it we're working on it but it's i mean professionals do are are really bilingual but not everybody is by the way speaking, and, of, speaking of bilingual i grew up in manhattan in harlem so i grew up learning puerto rican harlem spanish which i can't even tell you on the air because i get thrown off the air <laughs> but the thing was there was a stereotype of puerto ricans in new york like there was a stereotype of dominicans in new york and then the first time you come down to puerto rico Oh, my God, it's gorgeous because you never had that impression just based on being on the streets in New York. I mean, people have that impression. That's another a misconception. Yes, we are well-educated also. Yeah. Here, everybody goes to, we like to say that we also, I mean, we like to go to college. We do go to college. And there's a high percentage of students from the from high schools that get into our local college as well as in the United States all over the, the world also. We are very into education and we pride about it all right now let's talk reporter to reporter about the elephant in the room zika yeah. because if you listen to the centers for disease control uh you'd understand why everybody who i told i was coming down to san juan was basically asking me if i was going to be wearing a full body hazmat suit right yes I yes unfortunately that's what everybody thinks and for me as a journalist it's been quite interesting Uh, going to a news conference and seeing so many people from uh, different uh, media for the first time, because I have never seen so many people internationally, uh, journalists from, I mean, everywhere talking about Sika. And uh, we're used to this. We're used to uh, a mosquito-borne virus. We've been dealing with this for years, the dengue and the chikungunya and We have a CDC branch here in Puerto Rico who's well known for investigating these mosquito-borne viruses. Uh, I think the local authorities are doing their best at preventing, at giving a campaign, a prevent, prevention campaign. And I think that the media outside Puerto Rico is catching on that. They have been very aggressively talking about what the Zika virus is and how well, we also, can prevent it. And also what it isn't. Of course. Of course. I mean... 
you know, you take a look at, at the tourism numbers, of which Puerto Rico depends a lot on that. Yes. Uh, even with your current economic crisis, it's like the, the, the nail in the coffin if you don't have the tourism down here. Correct. Uh, I, I liken it to, 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 well, let's be comparative here. We're talking about Zika here in Puerto Rico. Let's talk about Zika in Brazil, where, you know, it's not stopping anybody from going to the Olympics now, And they is it? are going. And they're encouraging the people to go to Brazil. And I don't see the problem here. You know that Puerto Rico, we had a, a, an issue with the Major League Baseball that they canceled uh, two games here in Puerto Rico. And there was no reason for that. I know that. I mean, unless you're pregnant, well, well, right? I have a lot of pregnant baseball players. You know, no, yeah, oh of my course. God. <laughs> if you're pregnant, well, you know, Puerto Rico is not the place to come and visit. But there are other reasons why you should come here. And you just... Uh, Use a mosquito repellent. That's what the local authorities are saying. That's our best defense right now. And we're used to that. For us, it's like life in the tropics. <laughs> life is going on. Right. You know, I've, I've seen certain locations where the mosquitoes greet you at the airport with orange cones. They're so big. But no. the bottom, yeah. but the, but the, but the bottom <laughs> line is tropics. it doesn't stop you from going. It's, of course. And it's the tropics. We're used to this. But it's, it's, the, it's the fear factor. I know. And fear is the worst thing. You can do as a traveler, it's right? It's the worst four-letter word that starts with F yes, as it applies yes. to travel. Well, I couldn't there's, agree more. There is no need. I mean, you're missing out so much, so many I mean, things look, here I look out the window here at the hotel. I the see people weather. The weather's great. People on the beach, they're out the there weather. on the jet skis, they're parasailing, they're having fun. Yes, because as I said before, life goes on and we just deal with it and let's keep going and doing right. other stuff. You live here. Do you know anybody affected? No. That's one of the points that we've been talking about. I don't know anybody that has Zika. Although you have that huge, that very strange glow to you right now. No, I'm just kidding. Nah, 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 nah. That, Well, that's horrible. But, but yeah. no, I, I don't know anybody who has Zika. And we've been talking about over a thousand cases. And we've been talking about uh, women that surpass, I think it's 139 until last Friday of cases. Uh, but I don't know anybody. You know, I go back to SARS, avian flu. Yes. Um, hoof and mouth disease. I mean, I remember when everybody's freaking out about hoof and mouth disease in England, right? And it was like you were going to get off the plane and be greeted by a frothing cow. You know? <laughs> I, know. I mean, it, it never happened, right? I went to Hong Kong during, during the SARS and avian flu. Hotel occupancies dropped down to sort of like 3%. And you know what? I had the best time ever. Yes. I mean, I've always thought, said that as long as you pack common sense and some intelligence and it's your own, your own preventive medicine that you do in consultation with your own personal physician, there are very few places you shouldn't go. That's correct. So how have you seen it impacting here? Well, the tourism has been hard for us in a special, in, in a historical situation that we are right now, economically speaking, it has been hurting us. And as a journalist, what I do is that for our citizens, when I started hearing about the, the virus, I would be very careful not to alarm people. I just have to be very informed and read as much as I could about it and then tell people, you know, prevention is the key here, what we've been doing with dengue and chikungunya. Well, information. Information. That's the whole issue. I mean, that's the basic thing that we need to do. And as long as we keep informing what are the cases are, you know, and just watching and closely monitoring the CDC, what they're saying, I think we're okay with now, that. I'm going to say something that's going to sound politically incorrect, but I'm going to also say it's practically correct, okay, pragmatic. I've always said this. The best time to go anywhere in the world is after a natural disaster, a medical emergency, a civil disturbance, or an act of political terrorism. Because authorities are alert. Not only that, you own the place, and yeah. everybody's happy to see you. You have better service, better deals, no crowds, right? And 
I'm here in Puerto Rico and I don't have that huge glow to me, do I? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking with Nuria Sabasco from Telemundo. And one of the things I want to talk to you when we come back are some more fun aspects of San Juan. Sure. About where you, got, where you like to hang out, things that are not in the brochure, okay, not in the guidebook, that you're not going to read about online, that you know because you know. I mean, it's, yes. It, yes. And I would like to tell you about that because I, I would ask you, you know what a chinchorro is? Tell me. <laughs> Do we have time? <laughs> no, we're going to come back. <laughs> okay. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Chorro? Okay, what is it? Okay, since we've been hit economically very hard, <laughs> not everybody can go out and afford a good restaurant. And we have men here, yeah. okay? Okay, I'm ready. But Chinchorro, it's like a small place where you can get your drinks and have our specialties, our fritters, where we have alcapurrias. Or it's empanada time. And bacalaitos. What, oh, one thing at a time, what's that? Bacalaitos, yeah. cod fritters. Uh, okay. That's very good. And alcapurrias, what, wait, what, what kind of sauce are the cod fritters? Sauce? Yeah. There's Nothing? no sauce. Nothing. No. No, it's cod. And yeah, they're fried. Really? With, uh, with like, it's all-purpose, I guess, um, flour. Okay. And then you add uh, cod and that's it. Then you add that's beer. It. Well, if you want. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> we have name brands that are very good, yeah. local brands. But, uh, and then you can have alcapurrias, which are based, uh, plantain-based, and that you add, it could be... Uh, any time of any any type of meat you want. By the and way, they're delicious. If, if I've learned anything about Puerto Rican cuisine, everything is plantain based. Yeah, I mean everything. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I'm sure you can have a plantain smoothie if you wanted to. Yeah, we do. Oh God, no! Yes. Really? Oh, everywhere. No. I mean, um, not everywhere, but uh, well, the banana, of course, the sweet banana. Right. Is, uh, but I'm sure in other places they can have plantains. Okay, so now let's talk about the neighborhoods. Uh huh. You know, most people when they come here. Look, you have 28,000 people showing up just every week on cruise ships, right? They get off the ship, they walk seven blocks, they're in Old San Juan, and that's all they ever see, right? They never get out anywhere, right? They never get out to Maigua. They, they, they don't get out to anywhere else that you want to see, right? I'm from the countryside, and where, there are where, beautiful where are places. From? I'm from Utuado. It's in, in the center of the island. It's countryside, and it's beautiful. Yeah. You can go there to Rancho Marina. You take like a small boat and you feel like you're in the middle of the Amazonas. It's wonderful. The food is delicious. And I think the food and the experience of doing something different, that's where I take everybody that comes from the, from Europe or either United States, I take them there. They have to go to Rancho Marina in Utuado. Right. I mean, look, with all due respect, I don't come down to San Juan to go to Tony Roma's I know, I know. But we have, Wheelow was here. He's I know. one no, of the we, best with, renowned with, chefs with, that we have I will here. be talking to him later in the show with Picayo. He's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And not only Picayo, we have Mario Pagan. We have so many other chefs. We have Xavier Pacheco. He has uh, um, I think it's Hakita Valla. He used to have another restaurant called Safra, but he has Hakita Valla. He's a well-known uh, chef, and it's in Miramar. We love to go there to have a... Uh, on gandules in escabeche that's very good it's i mean everything he does is just perfect and i'm a foodie i'm into no I'm kidding i'm getting i'm getting that impression <laughs> i'm a foodie i like to go where people are talking about word of mouth is um verde mesa in el viejo san juan which whoa, 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 whoa. You... 
Perdemesa. Yes. I get excited about talking about That's green, t- that's green table. Yeah. That's green table. Green table, yes. Perdemesa. Yeah. It's just wonderful. Why? Why? <laughs> the food is exquisite. It's great. The ambiance, it's fabulous. But is there like such a thing? There. Is there such a thing as completely authentic Puerto Rican cuisine? Everywhere. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes, um, the Barrachina is very authentic in, in El Viejo San Juan also. Uh, it's well, There are a lot of places. I just can't right out of my mind saying mentioning all of them, but you can eat here very good and for good prices. You can get your arroz with habichuelas, what we call the tripleta, yep. with meat and your tostones, of course. See, that, you know, it's funny. In the South, in America, they, they call it you know, a meat and three sides. Mm-hmm. You're doing the same thing yeah. here, right? It's a big plate with stuff, everything on the side. Yeah, we always have our rice and beans. Without and rice and else. beans and plantains, it's done. Yeah. Okay. Much. What's the biggest surprise to you about what's happening in Puerto Rico right now? All the attention. I mean, are we still talking about... Whatever Zika? you want to talk about. Sika. Yeah. yeah. The attention that we're getting with Sika in our historic in our economic situation, which is not our best... Uh, moment, uh, but we're dealing with it. But for somebody who wants to come and visit, it's almost a buyer's market for them. Yes. Right? I mean, the occupancy, I mean, it, it's actually in visitors' favor to come here. Due to the cancellations that we've had? Yes, it yeah. is. And you've seen lots of cancellations. It's all based on like meetings, conventions, mm-hmm. the baseball teams. Of course. The U.S. swim team, swimming team also canceled. But we're also having other conventions now, that we expect in September. See, this is what drives me nuts. It's all fear-based because you have the U.S. swim team canceling here, and yet they're going to, to Rio where you wouldn't want to swim in that water. That has been, that has been the discourse in, in the government right now, that the fact that uh, people are running away from Puerto Rico but are going right straight to Brazil, and the World Health Organization is saying, it's fine, go. I mean, what's, what's the fear? What's the fear of coming here to Puerto Rico? Fear of plantains. <laughs> I hope not. They're missing a lot of them. <laughs> it's called plantain phobia. Oh, no, unfortunately. But, I know. But the bottom line is, if timing is everything, timing is good for now. As long as you practice intelligent travel, you, you go see your doctor, make sure you have all your meds that you need, and just practice basic good preventive medicine. Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Uh, joining me now is someone who knows just a little bit about the history of this uh, of this region because he's the chairman of the, of the Department of History at the University of Puerto Rico, and his name is Luis Agarit. That's very good, sir. Uh, did I get the pronunciation Yes, right? you did. Okay, good. I'm happy about that. You know, wh- our previous guest, we were talking to, uh, uh, to Nuria Sabasco from Telemundo, and I said to her, you know, I- I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this, but-, but when I was coming down here, so many of my friends asked if I needed a passport. You know, so many of my friends didn't get this. They didn't have a geographic awareness or, or a contemporary awareness of Puerto Rico, let alone a historical one. Well, my history professor is at Texas and Georgetown. Sometimes ask me the same question. Uh-oh. So you're not alone. <laughs> uh, actually, we've been uh, part of the United States federal system since 1898. Spanish-American War. Spanish-American War. And we have been citizens of the United States since 1917. So and you pay taxes. And we pay 
I shouldn't, all, I shouldn't mention taxes All either. but income taxes. We don't pay uh, personal or corporate income taxes. So that has, uh, in fact, that uh, tax exemption for a long time was the base for our industrial economy. Puerto Rico, since 1954, for the first time in 1954, input derived from manufacturing uh, surpassed in income derived from agriculture, which was a traditional economic uh, activity in the Caribbean as a whole. But if we, if, but if we go way, way back, what you were is still what you are, a Spanish-speaking Caribbean island. Spanish-speaking Caribbean island. We are um, partake of the Caribbean culture. The Caribbean, as you know, Peter, is the most global region in the world. Uh, there was a British historian who used to say that the Caribbean was like a spaceship, peopled by persons from all over the world who knew they were unable to go back to their roots. So they had to make along and look at the world from a different perspective. And I think that this um, cultural mixture and this cultural syncretism in the Caribbean is what, and in Puerto Rico is what really gives us the vibrancy and the vitality of our culture and our way of life. But is there still, and of course I'm asking a rhetorical question because I think I know the answer, a sort of, sort of resentment and anger that you're not a state? There are people who believe that Puerto Rico should integrate completely with the United States, although they at the same time say that Puerto Rico should stay culturally different from the United States, whether that is a more perfect union. Although, that's you, a although you do understand, we call ourselves the United States of America. There's nothing united about us. Everybody's different. And there are other Americans other than that in the United States, of <laughs> yes, course. Yes, yes. But the, the, I think the important thing is that uh, we are a very proud people. We're, we cherish our identity. We cherish our way of life. Uh, in 1898, over 98% of the people in Puerto Rico had been born in Puerto Rico. They had never been outside the island. So if you have for centuries this, this type of culture and, and um, this way of life. So people can actually now say, yeah, I'm from there. <laughs> yes, you know, Jose Ferrer, the, the actor who was our first uh, Oscar winner, he told him because Josef, they asked him because Josef Ferrer is from Puerto Rico. And he said, no, it's not that I'm from Puerto Rico. It's that I am Puerto Rican. So it's a way of being. It's a way of behaving. It's a way of looking at the world. Uh, it's it's a, a way of uh, stating our traditions and uh, living with them. And you can see it uh, in the way we cherish and in the way we, we celebrate life. I mean, anywhere we go. Any excuse is good enough. It's a party. It's a party. Any excuse is is good enough for a party. You'll have music everywhere. Uh, You'll have this this, uh, joie de vivre, you know, that's that's very, very strong. And uh, we keep celebrating everything. And where were you born? I was born in Puerto Rico, of course, (laughs) although I did my my studies and graduate studies in the United States. Oh, you have to tell me that you're Puerto Rican. Yeah, I am Puerto Rican, just like Jose Ferrer. And Rita Moreno and uh, so many others, Benicio del Toro. Of course. We're talking with Professor Luis Agarait, who's the uh, chairman of the history department at the University of Puerto Rico. When we come back, what I want to talk to you about is when people come here for the first, second, even the third time, what's their biggest surprise? There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. 
My name is David and I'm here to tell you that Shortly after takeoff, first things first There's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler Alcoholic beverages will be $4 If a monster energy drink is your plan That'll be $3 and you get the whole can We won't take your cash, you gotta pay with plastic If you have a Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Let's talk about some of the stereotypes that, or some of the misconceptions about Puerto Rico. Well, the first one we talked about in, our, in the opening segment, which is that, yes, you do not need a passport to come here. No, and I think people are always somewhat surprised at finding a modern country, as if that should be surprising. Well, they come here looking uh, for Christopher Columbus? They, came, they come here with uh, vague notions, maybe sometimes imbibed by an extra, uh, an extra idea of, of what the tropics are, and they find that the tropics are a very, very good cultural place, unique cultural place, but at the same time that uh, we live in a thoroughly modern environment in all respects. And it's, it's, someone made the mistake the other day, you know, of saying, you know, well, what do the Americans think about, wait a minute, you are Americans. We are American citizens since 1917. Um, again, um, would you think that Puerto Rico is a place where you would come for, to hear classical music? You wouldn't think of that. And yet we have one of the oldest festivals, classical musical festivals in the world, which is the Casals Festival, started in the 1950s by Maestro Pablo Casals. And the tradition is still going on. It's very, very, and we get, we get um, tourists from over the world who come now during the high season, it used to be a summer festival, to, to hear classical music. And at the same time, you come, uh, people come from Germany and Europe and all over the world for the Hennigan Jazz Fest, for the Puerto Rican Jazz Fest, which is a world-renowned jazz festival from, again, musicians all over the world. So we, have the, we are the complete package. We have the complete island. Uh, you have all types of, of uh, cultural activities from the local traditional folkloric to the highest uh, expressions, cultural expressions. And if you look at the map, uh, San Juan can easily be a, a hub to go anywhere else in the Caribbean either by ship or, of course, by plane, if the airlift stays the way it's supposed to be. The real concern now, of course, is that airlift is moving away as everybody wants to be the first on their block to go to Cuba. Right. right. Um, but we are still far ahead of Cuba in terms of uh, infrastructure, well, certainly tourism infrastructure. There's an interest in Cuba, and Cuba is a fascinating place. I mean, by, not mean, by any means trying to belittle Cuba as a tourist destination. But Puerto Rico offers much more and in a more in a more open environment, which is very important, uh, totally free, totally open environment. And uh, again, with a with a whole uh, panoply of offerings that Cuba is still uh, Of course, behind. one of the other issues, of course, is, is Puerto Rico's inability to maintain its debt, to manage its debt, uh, trying to restructure it, defaulting on debt. But that doesn't change Puerto Rico. That doesn't change uh, our way of life, doesn't change our vitality, or as I said, our joie de vivre, uh, just come down. And, and no, you, you, you know what it is? You're just better debtors. Beg your pardon? <laughs> You're just better debtors. <laughs> We're better debtors. Uh, we've had a, um, a lot of help from the hedge funds to get the way that, that, we, that we finally are now. But I, I'm confident that we're going to, to grow out of it. The important thing is to develop the economy. I mean, it's to grow out of the debt. And the, the economy is, is based a lot on travel and tourism. 
It's now larger. Uh, Puerto Rico used to have a larger percentage of its GNP developed from manufacturing than from uh, than the United States did. So we have to develop tourism, of course, but we also have to get back our industrial base, which was uh, what promoted the growth in the 1950s onwards. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, because uh, of our special relationship with the United States and the fact that we do not have to pay the, the corporations, we don't have to pay corporate federal taxes. Well, that's got to be the biggest incentive to open up here. It makes sense, for example, for a foreign-owned, what's called a foreign-owned company, to do business in Puerto Rico, then repatriate its profits at a lower tax rate than if they had uh, repatriated the, their profits directly from, from abroad. And of course, as long as it doesn't have anything to do with plantains. Well, plantains are, are a source of great, great, great pleasure. I know. I know. We'll be talking about plantains throughout the show. You can't escape the plantains. It's the, it's the attack of the plantains. Yeah, right. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere you go, right? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's used to be called our daily bread. Now, I have to ask the stupid question. You ready for the stupid question? Because yeah. you're, you're the chairman of the history department. If anybody will know this answer, you will. Did the piña colada start here? Of course it did. Of course it did. And it started at two places at the same time, at the Caribe Hilton and in Old San Juan. And that's, that's a dangerous drink because you don't know it until it hits you. Well, then just eat the pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, just eat the we, pineapple. We have the cabezudas, the big-headed pineapples in the southwest of Puerto Rico. They are the sweetest pineapples in the world. Are you a piña colada drinker? I prefer martinis. <laughs> you just said a blasphemous thing here. Nobody, no Puerto Ricano drinks martinis. Well, I told you. A rum martini, we're, perhaps? We're, no, no, <laughs> I know, no, I know. no way, no way. I, I'm a very traditional-minded person. <laughs> so you go to your place, it's martini time. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, it's, it's actually, you know what it is? It's BYOPC. You know what that stands for? Bring your own pina colada. Oh, that's right. That's good. <laughs> We're talking with Professor Luis Agarit, the chairman of the history department at the University of Puerto Rico. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. And joining me now, who knows a little bit about this? He's the uh, he's the big cheese at the Puerto Rico Historic Building Society. Andy Rivera, how are you, Andy? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you, you heard my intro. I mean, I mean, it's not you know most people when they first come, if they're coming, let's say by cruise ship, they walk seven blocks away. They're in Old San Juan, and they see all the preservation efforts there. I mean, that's a biggie. Not just the old fort, but the actual houses themselves. The colors, the style, the the the, the columns, the the balustrade. I mean, right, all that, right. And that's been preserved for a long time, and it's it's. But it's outside that area that really is your challenge, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Uh, for, as you said, a lot of people that come to visit Puerto Rico, especially to um, Old San Juan, all they see is the outer shell of the city, of the old city. And by the way, in Old San Juan, you've got over four hundred wonderfully preserved uh, Spanish. What, colonial houses? Exactly, exactly. And uh, the point is that you can see these uh, uh, facades, very interesting, very old. Uh, from the, we have f uh, dwellings from the uh, 16, 17, 18 thousands. Um, but the thing is that uh, we also, you can also visit the interiors of these buildings, especially the tunnels, 
the, 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 the interior patios, the balconies is a different experience. It's not only going through the streets, uh, doing shopping. You, you can actually go inside the buildings. It's another experience. It's like traveling in time. Well, it is traveling time. I mean, look, this is once, if you take a look at old San Juan, I mean, that was once the crown of the Spanish Empire. I mean, it really was, right? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that the city of Old San Juan, just think about it, when the pilgrims uh, was arriving to Plymouth in the 1620, Old San Juan already had 100 years. We have the more than 400 houses at that time, a Gothic cathedral, by the way, one of the oldest in the New World, and churches. Uh, it was a city by itself. It was. And let's stay there just for a second, because you not only have the buildings, you have the fortress as well. Exactly. Well, under the American flag, you, um, the Fort San Cristobal and the Fort de Morro is the largest uh, fortification. And how long did it take them to build that? Well, a couple of years, you know, <laughs> because it's not only the forts, uh, it's the walls. It's more than 300 years of, of history, of building histories on the, on the walls. And you can still walk them. Of course. They're very interesting. Very, each wall has a different period, a different construction method, a, a different uh, defense strategy. Let's talk about the defense strategy because history is so much a part of this. I mean, it was built basically to protect from any outside invaders. Exactly. Who invaded? Uh, well, we, we've been invaded by everyone. Everybody wanted to go inside to the city of San Juan. But uh, one of the most important invasions was from the 1797. It was the largest invasion, uh, and practically uh, uh, from the British, more than 10,000 uh, men against only 3,000 locals in Spanish. And we beat them. <laughs> the, the walls are very, uh, very impenetrable. Plus, if you take a look at the design, you can't get in the harbor without getting by the walls, and they couldn't get by the walls. No, no, there's no way. There's no way. There was, it was heavily, heavily fortified. Uh, that was very important for the Spanish, the, the city of San Juan. Well, they wanted to make a statement, too. Yeah. Right? Yes. They, they, they wanted to make a It's like you go into an old bank in New York that, that, of course, has now been converted to a restaurant or something. Those old banks were built to be imposing and to be intimidating. Exactly. And that's exactly what this was. Yes. I remember this, um, uh, reading this book at the Spanish Naval uh, Museum. It was about an interview of uh, Francis Drake. Um, and he was asked, uh, what was one of the hardest uh, things in, in your career? And he said, um, the only thing I regret is not trying to get in, uh, couldn't get in through the walls of the old San Juan. He never could. He never could. See? They didn't want him. Get the yeah. British out. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Gone. Yes. What's the biggest surprise for you doing all this historical work in just the city of old San Juan? The biggest surprise. Well, you know what? I've been there all day. I live in San Juan, and yeah. I walk through in, out, outside, and top, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't stop surprising me. It's always a, a new place to see. Like I said, there's, there's lots of tunnels all around the city. There are interior patios. There are balconies. There are, uh, there, we have um, um, a lot of architectural elements that are, are unique to San Juan. You won't find it in nowhere around the world. But not just in old San Juan, in the city itself. In the city. In the city. So let's get outside the old city for a second and talk about the surprises there. Because they're, they're harder to find. Well, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of, uh, for example, um, uh, there's uh, like, like, like beaches, uh, hideaway beaches. There are, uh, are caves systems. We have under, um, underground um, river systems. We have uh, bioluminescent bays, one in the, in the west, other one in the east. 
we have a rainforest, like uh, the only two rainforests. Well, Elianga, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, trails right now, a lot of the different routes on coffee routes. Uh, sure, but I'm talking about the buildings themselves, the oh, construction yeah. and the architecture. Yeah, yeah, bu bu buildings, for example. Um, because uh, I'll give you a for instance. One of the biggest challenges, when we use the word development, of course, is that once you get out of an area that's very well known, like Old San Juan, it's tougher to preserve those other buildings in the wake of people wanting to build higher, higher structures, more modern structures, families that sell out to developers. And you know, how do you then go in there and get certain places designated as historic areas to protect them? Well, uh, one of the basics of, of, of trying to protect and, and is um, getting to know the places of the public. That's one of our missions. We, we, um, and you know what? When we come back, one of the things I want to talk about are what are some of those places outside the usual suspects, okay. right? Okay. Places that you can go visit, that I can go visit, that you can learn the history. Not just because of the Spanish, but because of how the Puerto Ricans have maintained it. And the fight that goes on because if you don't know the history, you're doomed to repeat it, as, exactly. as you remember that exactly. story. We're talking with Andy Rivera, the, uh, the head of the Puerto Rico Historic Building Society. And also I want to talk about the Drawing Society when we come back. Because that really goes back to the original days of how they drew these things. I go back to da Vinci when he designed buildings. People forget what he did. Then they, tell, then they found his notebooks. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance. Over. That's Clarence. Over. Over. Roger. Huh? We've been talking to Andy Rivera, who's the head of the Puerto Rico Historic Building Society. And, and Andy, you know, we, we, we talk about preserving architecture and materials. Um, it's not easy, is it? It's not. Uh, especially when you're talking about development. And, and people are usually not that, well, I won't say well-versed, but they're not usually that in sync with, with legacy and history, as opposed to, you know, moving forward in their definition of the term. Yes, uh, for example, one of the problems that we have is that people need to know their history in order to protect it, because you cannot protect anything if you don't have a value on it. Um, uh, one of our uh, sample was the the Vanderbilt Hotel at the Condado area, which they just redid. Yes, they did, but it was it was it was about to be demolished, and and there was a a, a great group of the community that avoided the demolition, and now you can see one of the greatest hotel designed by Warren Whitmore, the same architects who designed the, the New York Grand Central Station. How big of a struggle was that to keep that hotel? Very big. Even the government had to to join. It was very big. But somebody then had to step up with some serious checkbook activity to yeah. be able to oh, say, okay, absolutely. because anytime you're going to preserve a hotel like that, you're dealing with new building codes, new fire codes, new environmental codes. I mean, the, the, the investment cost can also destroy you because you can't get a return on investment. Exactly. But on the other side, um, right now, we, we, we're not in Spain, for example. Spain has so many uh, historic structures that you can demolish all of them if you want. Still, they still have. We, don't, as a don't, don't tell them that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, <no>. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? The, Puerto Rico is a tiny island. We, we have very few uh, historic uh, buildings. We cannot afford to keep demolishing. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's costly or not. And there's other values in that. It's not necessarily only money. It's, a, it's a history behind but it. But how did you convince people of that argument? Well, at, uh, I'm telling them, telling them the, the value of the, the story of it, the, the, the part of our heritage, that we cannot forget our collective memory in terms of, of historic um, factors. 
Well, part it's, of it is, is getting the word out. I mean, your Facebook alone is what, 200,000 followers just on that. Absolutely. And you know what? We have people all around the world asking about our structure. But we, you know, nowadays, uh, at the beginning, Puerto Ricans didn't, didn't even know exactly what they had in their island as historic uh, architecture. Now, we have, like you said, more, almost 200,000 people. And there's the, there's the change. There's a big noticeable change. People are realizing, hey, we, we cannot keep demolishing to have modern buildings just for the kick of it. We need to preserve some of it. I mean, we cannot pretend to protect everything because, you know, we of need course. to go on. What was your biggest surprise discovery? Well, uh, as a as a uh, architectural speaking, sure. Well, you know, I've I've seen here. Um, for, it depends because we have a lot of, for example, cemetery. The old San Juan Cemetery here is one of the the biggest uh, uh, architectural historical um, cemetery. That's practically the only one with a, an historic fortress wall in the in the ocean. Um, there's a lot of people buried there, very famous people, not even from Puerto Rico, from, also from the States. Um, for example, the, the details, like I said, it will surprise me that we still are the only country of all the land conquered by the Spanish that still has a balcony with an uh, architectural detail that's called tapafaldas. Which means what? It's like a sort of a skirt cover, because at the 1813, the Spanish government, for example, um, it was the first time that the woman was allowed to go to a balcony. But in order to do that, you needed to have a tapa falda, which is a little horizontal panel. So nobody could look up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, you know it, was a, it was a quite... And, you know, that balcony, we're the only ones still with that original balcony detail and design that came from the Canary Islands, which is the, basically where we came from. Now... You found some of the drawings too. Yeah, there's a there's plenty of drawings on the archives on the Institute of Puerto Rican Culture. Uh, there's also in the archives there are all types of, of simple drawings and complicated drawings. Nowadays you can draw a building like in two hours, three on the hours on the computer. Yes, on AutoCAD and laser drawing, laser me measurements. But uh, in those days you used to do a, a facade, for example, a week. A week and a half or so. Just to do the drawing. Yeah. And then, By the way, I had that course in high school. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Mechanical drawing. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Nowadays, it's much easier. Yeah, no it's kidding. Much yeah, I, I threw away my, my abacus, you know, uh. <laughs> and my, and my, and my, t, my T scale. Yeah. Right, right, right now, we're drawing the whole San Juan uh, because uh, a final, uh, uh, we just want to do a 3D map including all the highly detailed drawings. And these drawings, we can do like two or three buildings per day. Now, the, the, the cool thing about what you guys do, you don't just research it. You give tours. Yes, uh, absolutely. We, we, we love to give what we call the, 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 the urban trek because uh, people go to San Juan, as you said later on, that you just go to for shopping or you just look at the cobblestones. But, you know, you need to look at all the details. We are unique. This is an old city. This is the oldest city under the American flag. We got lots to offer. And you know what? This city is packed. I mean, daily packed of tourists. By the way, I don't see any Sika around. <laughs> I don't know anyone who has Sika. But, you know, uh, the thing is that um, this just just go inside a building. You don't even need to be um, invited. Just go where it's open, and you're going to see. You're giving me permission to trespass? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can uh, go with me. I, I'll, I could, I'll go with you. I could take you places that you never imagined before. Give me you, one. Give me one. Well, there's a, like a, can you, you know what a, 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 a typical Spanish uh, um, lighthouse tower is 
you know, we're talking about the, the Spanish uh, lighthouse. There's one in Old San Juan. People, very few know that they have one right in the middle of the city on the roof. By the way, one of our walking trucks that we give is the roof. People thought we were crazy because we were putting people up on the roof. But then, you know what? There's a different perspective of the city, a whole new um, world, because you see all types of, of buildings. It's a modern building inside a wrap around of historic facade. It's unbelievable. What you see in San Juan, you won't see it. You have to think of old San Juan like a slice of Europe in America. Of course. It's an old city. We call it, in our own way, like the eternal uh, Caribbean city. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful city. Now, on these tours, how long do the tours take? Well, it takes around, like, it depends. Uh, for example, usually they're designed to be one hour, one hour and a half, but people love it, and they stay you're doing longer. The, you're doing the roofs, the balconies, yeah. the courtyards. Yeah, there's 32 um, walking trucks right now, 32. And we didn't ask for this. The people on the page asked for it. They love it. Uh, you know, when we started out, there were like three or, or four, <laughs> ten people on the page. Now we got people all around the world asking about our rich historic, spectacular architecture. And the good news is you can walk it. You know, yeah. You're not on a bus. It's there. No, it's, everything is in a walking distance. It doesn't matter what. That's one of the most important design of the old San Juan. You can walk, and there's a pharmacy right there. There's a supermarket right there. There's a, even a, a department store. You know, there, there's all, you can find everything on a walking distance. Now, you're a nonprofit? Nonprofit. Right, and give me the website. It's a www.pr hbds.org which stands for Puerto Rico Historic Building Drawing Society we also on Facebook of course you're on Facebook you, you can't live without it no, right? no you cannot do you actually publish some of the drawings on Facebook yes we, we all we do is free for the public uh, we've given tours uh, um, for um, uh, universities professors uh, students um, we actually gave um, lectures on for example UPenn um, we gave uh, but, if, but if somebody writes on the website and says, I'm, I'm coming down to San Juan, they can come on a tour. Of course. Well, of course they can. That's what We do that as, as, and, and as you're a pleasure. And you're a non-profit. A non-profit. Even better. Of course. We, let me, this is my humble opinion. We're one of the best, honestly, because <laughs> we do it for love. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest is a writer, a cultural creator, and a trend forecaster. I like that one. <laughs> Selena Nogueras Cuevas, how are you? Fine, pretty good. Thank you for having Fine me. Fine and pretty good. I get it at the same time. I like that. Okay. Yeah, we're in Puerto Rico. Like, this is great. <laughs> right. We're not complaining, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, you know, when we talk about trend forecasting in San Juan, you know, one trend that you need to t talk about is, you know, how do you deal with the, with the fear of Zika? Uh, and that's a big issue. And then, of course, from a cultural scene, you know, where, what I've noticed in, in going around, and I've been coming here for many, many years, is street art. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that, too. But first, let's talk about something that's near and dear to you because of the travel and tourism economy, and that's the fear about Zika. You, don't, you see anybody out in the streets glowing in the dark? No, I don't think so, actually. Um, I know it's been an issue in the media, specifically internationally, but uh, actually we don't feel it here. 
we don't have the fear. Um, and it's very interesting that you asked because um, I have a design studio. And one of the things that we work at is uh, creating brands, specifically br local brands. And we have a client, indeed, that she make a patent of a, a insect repellent uh, um, sunblock, 30 sunblock and moisturizer. And it's super interesting. She's launching the product in this uh, past month. And it, co it was coincidental with the Zika uh, thing. And now, don't tell me she's got a large mosquito on the cover. No. <laughs> no, actually, no. no. It's a pretty good uh, <laughs> label. But the thing is that um, in Puerto Rico, yeah, we, we have sun all the time. It's a beautiful island. And obviously, like, you have to cover yourself. But it's, it's not as bad as, as the image that they've been creating of the thing, of the Zika. We don't, right. like, we don't feel it. Like, we, don't, we don't have any fear to go outside and have fun, take the sun, and you can go with your life pretty well. You can. Yeah. Well, let's let's change gears for a little bit and, and talk about some of the trends. And I mentioned street art, right? I go back 20 years ago, I didn't see a lot of graffiti. Now I see it everywhere. Yeah, and the thing about the graffiti is they have a change because probably 20 years ago you seen it, but it was like a lot of uh, what's called tagging and, right. and just the scripts. But it have changed in terms of the murals. Like what, uh, in terms of trend setting, for example, yeah. in 2008, I did uh, the first big graffiti event it was called graphopoly and it was because i realized there was a like a movement of the graffiti artists that they were changing between the tagging and doing the murals so we create the first uh event of that type it was for big murals and since 2008 that's been happening and uh, there's like a lot of international artists that from graffiti that have come to puerto rico in the past years and you, then you can see it because, like, obviously they leave the the murals for for oh, sure. to enjoy. But this is not just tagging; this is art. Yeah, yeah. That, there's, that's one of the difference when I call the murals. I'm telling like big, huge pieces, more than twenty feet tall, like very beautiful. Okay, but I have art. to. But I have to ask the obvious question: Are the people who own these buildings or these walls aware of the fact they're about to get the graffiti, or are they commissioning them? Yeah, um, there are both. Like uh, you have seen, also a movement of people that they have built buildings and they they start appreciating and asking artists to paint their walls. But there's also the a very important festival, Los Muros Hablan or Santurce's Ley, that happen afterward, Grafit, uh, Grafopoli, and then they ask the permission, and it's all legal. So actually, it's changed uh, a little bit uh, the shift of like you see this graffiti, but these are graffiti legal. Uh, big murals and very important piece of art that is like a museum, but in the city. Sure. So ne basically, now you can do a walking tour of San Juan just for graffiti alone. It's, it's specifically in, in la, the area of Santurce, there are very important uh, pieces of graffiti that you can do the uh, the route and. And of course, the owners of those buildings are saying things like, "It's worth how much? <laughs> <laughs> sure, paint my wall. What do I care?" Yeah, I think so. That's part of the process of educating the people. Now you mentioned Santurce because I was at the market yesterday. And, um, you know, an interesting place to go for a, a papaya, coconut water, and honey smoothie, right? Um, but in that neighborhood, we had some of the most amazing octopus, uh, grilled octopus. I mean, that, that is, a, it, it, it was done just perfectly. I think that the whole part of Santurce is getting really, really interesting. And in terms of tourism and the people that it's listening to us, if they want to do this, like, uh, they're the type of creative, uh, more like tourism, uh, and they want to see like the real uh, the place a sense you of go the place. There. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? 
It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? My next guest is an old buddy of mine who just astounded me right before he came on the air to, to remind me that his restaurant is now 26 years old. Uh, we love Ben up the chef and owner of Picayo. How are you, sir? I'm doing very good, Peter. How are you? 26 years. Nobody gets that in a restaurant business. Well, I got to tell you, it's a feat uh, anywhere in the world. And especially here. So I got to ask the obvious question because people ask me all the time, especially when I'm coming down here. Can you define... Puerto Rican cuisine. Actually, I can. You know, Puerto Rican cuisine is uh, greatly about flavor intensity and uh, greatly centered in the rice and beans. Uh, and much like the rest of the Caribbean basin, it's like a triple starch uh, uh, experience if you're doing it down home style. But I remember, let's go back 25 years ago. I sure. mean, the, the, the Puerto Rican cuisine that I remember 25 years ago was heavily influenced, obviously, by Spanish mm-hmm. um, and spicy. Sure. Right. But it's, it's evolved. Well, and, and the spicy, we should clear that, uh, you know, spicy in reference to a lot of flavor. Ne- never intended to be into the hot spices like Tabasco spice or what have you. But, uh, you know, a lot has happened in those years where the evolution of uh, restaurants and, and our own cuisine has, uh, you know, evolved and morphed into, obviously, a more contemporary proposal. All right. So let's talk about some stereotypes here, right? People come down to Puerto Rico. Okay, they want plantains followed by more plantains. Right. Are you sick of plantains? Well, come on. Look, come on. The truth. No, I got to tell you that <laughs> even though after 53 years of being Puerto Rican, right, uh, uh, I still am not sick of plantains. And I got to tell you, for me specifically, ripe plantains, you know, are the ones that really, uh, you know, sucker me into the whole deal. Uh, although I like green ones as well, but the the, uh, the ripe ones provide for that sweet and salty uh, uh, element that is so characteristic of Puerto Rican cuisine as well. Well, you know, it's all it's the, it's the contradiction of flavors, if you will, that you're finding everywhere now, like salted caramel. Right. right? It's the same thing with the plantains. Well, and it is actually. I got to tell you that we don't acknowledge as much as Puerto Ricans how much we love sweet and salty. Only that we practice it almost every day. Because if you get a side dish of ripe plantains, there's your sweet sweet and salty uh, combination. It's a combination. Okay, yeah. so let's go back 25 years ago. You couldn't get sushi in, in San Juan. That is correct. You couldn't get Thai. That's correct. Right Now, all those influences are finding their way even into your menu. Absolutely. Not only in independent restaurants, which serve those cuisines you mentioned, but also those have influenced uh, you know, other uh, fusion proposals as well. Without a doubt, and, you know, like I said, you know, 25 years ago, it was difficult to get heavy cream and fresh basil. Now you have it all. Uh, you can source uh, everything. Absolutely so. Absolutely. All right. What's the biggest surprise for you about the evolution of Puerto Rican cuisine? The biggest surprise? Well, the biggest surprise uh, to me is that, uh, um, you know, I I think there's a lot more talent than I uh, thought that was going to be available, and uh, it is just everywhere. Well, that means a lot more competition. A lot more competition, without a doubt. And and, and it's in every sector, not just fine dining restaurants like ours. You know, you can go to, like, food trucks or kiosks or, you know, just simple restaurants, and and it's all there, actually. You can go from just a super classic fonda uh, to just a bunch of hybrids. uh, Listen, uh, yesterday I went over to the San Thursday market and hung out there and got a papaya, 
coconut water and honey smoothie. Oh, let me tell you. My, my absolute favorite, especially with the coconut water. On coconut water, let me tell you, you want to have a really great <laughs> drink. You know, I know rum is our, is our uh, uh, a drink uh, for what we're known for. But, you know, when in town, get, get, get a little whiskey and coconut water. And let me tell you, you'll be surprised and looking for coconut water back in, in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere else. Or anywhere else. What's the what's the place that you hang out? You mentioned the food trucks. When you're not at your own restaurant, where's the secret gem for you to go hang out and eat? Well, I got to tell you, you know, when you're a chef, you eat a lot of burgers. So go ahead. Uh, 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 there, there's a, a very special place I like to go to on my breaks. It's called El Hamburguito, which is on the way out to Old San Juan. So, you know, I got to tell you, nothing has changed there. It's sort of like time stopped. Okay, and, so wait. So you don't just order the hamburger. You order what kind of hamburger? Well, no, I got to tell you, just it's just a very simple burger, you know. And, and that's just the thing about chefs most of the times. You know, despite what we do, we tend to consume on, on a far simpler uh, uh diet than people would expect but actually. you're not a fast food guy this is not a fast food actually this is just a good burger joint though it's not a plantain burger it's not a plantain <laughs> burger no <laughs> or a mofongo burger or a mofongo burger. explain what mofongo is yeah mofongo is actually mashed uh, green plantains in a wooden uh, see, mortar we're back, and see we're back to plantains That's again it. Like, uh, absolutely keep going uh so uh you know and and and, and it's very origins it was just that mashed uh, uh plantains with garlic and pork uh cracklings and all that uh served in chicken broth that was a very original version yeah. from there it has evolution to be you know stuff with everything under the sky and uh, with different sauces and different preparations, but still the mofongo, uh, you know, prevails as, as probably one of the most dominant uh, icons. Okay, we look. Got to ask you this. I ask everybody who comes on the show: What's the one thing you had on your menu that you thought everybody's going to eat? And it tanked. And what's the one thing you said? No one's going to order this, and everybody wants it. Well, I got to tell you, Bistén Cebollado uh, is is one of those things. And and I got to say that you know, one customer comes in one day and says, "Can you make me Bistén Cebollado?" Not on the which menu. Is, which is what? It's called Bistén Cebollado. It's actually in its origins was top round, uh, but uh, uh, now for us, it's uh, beef tenderloin sliced thin like a scallopini with smothered onions, and that's like the law of the land, if you will. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder. 
why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.